Welcome to TLD Talks, where we share insights about key legal and business matters that are impacting SMEs today. Bringing together experts from a range of backgrounds, we'll be tackling the issues that matter to you. I'm Ed Simpson, CEO of The Legal Director, and I'm joined on today's podcast by one of our very experienced client legal directors, Sophie Freeman. So hello, Sophie. Thanks for joining me today. Hello, Ed. Nice to be on the podcast today. And we're going to be having a chat about confidentiality agreements or NDAs, what they are, why they've been in the news recently and why they matter. For the benefit of listeners, could I ask you please to introduce yourself and your practice at TLD? Well, I'm a solicitor. I started in private practice and then moved up through a couple of leading London firms, Bird and Bird and Clyde and & Co. And then I also worked in-house at the Body Shop International PLC. So that was my in-house experience. And then after that, I started my own consultancy, which I did for about 16 years. And I loved working with a wide range of clients, but particularly those entrepreneurial, some in the sort of soft IP arts area. And so, yes, a really interesting mix of practice. And just recently, um, the middle of this year, I joined TLD, really trying to carry on my practice much as it was before, but spreading my wings a little. So, Sophie, I'd like to start today by asking you about a recent story that you were personally involved in concerning NDAs and actors and their agents on the one hand and big production companies on the other. Can you tell me about how that came about, please? Uh, Yes. Well, through various routes, I was on the books of a couple of theatrical agents with a view to helping them with their contracts. Nothing much came about from that until I heard on Radio 4 on Front Row a very interesting piece about the misuse of non-disclosure agreements, NDAs, in the pre-casting situation. So this is where big production companies were in the process of casting actors who don't have the job yet. So there may be hundreds, if not thousands of them, and they were being given with very little notice long corporate NDAs to sign, which were completely unbalanced and actually really made the actors scared of being engaged in the process. So with indignant uh, response in hand, I went to the agents and said, do you need some help with this? I'm, I'm very familiar with helping with non-disclosure agreements. And they put me in touch with the PMA, which is the Personal Managers Association, which represents about 800 theatrical agents. Together, We reviewed the NDAs, what was happening, and came up with a very interesting way of coping with that. Can you summarise the approach you took? So what we found was we had close-typed two pages NDAs under Californian law, full of aggressive clauses, some of which probably unenforceable, opaque kind of corporate drafting, bullying behaviour, even suggesting that the actors could not contact their agents to review the document or even give any understanding of the confidential information that was being disclosed. So I was very indignant about this, but we had to take care how we dealt with it. Um, The key concerns were that if an actor refused to sign, they just wouldn't get the casting. And if a particular agent refused to sign NDAs, they could be blacklisted. I mean, here I am talking about the big boys, the subscription video on demand, uh, and it's the big American companies largely. So I had to to be careful not to damage the actors and agents' careers and businesses, but also somehow get under the skin of the big corporate boys and their lawyers. 
So we came up with a scheme whereby we would allow the actors to sign the NDA, but they would tell the agents, as indeed they're entitled to. The agent would then fire back what has come to be known as the annex, which essentially was a document which sets out the unreasonable nature both of the original NDA and the behaviour of the company, which was so consistent in each case that you could actually have a template to respond to that. And then we picked apart each section, whether it might be much too broad a purpose, any information that's disclosed for whatever purpose ever, whether it be indemnifying the corporation globally forever, which obviously a junior actor is not going to be able to do, whether it be the jurisdiction might be under Californian law. So we would protest at all those points. We would push back and the denouement at the end would be to say, and actually, by the way, because this is such an appalling document and your behaviour matches it, your document is actually unenforceable. So it doesn't protect you either. And so that was sent back by a critical mass of agents, which again was absolutely vital because obviously there are so many actors who will do almost whatever it takes to occasionally get jobs. What we had to be prepared for was, of course, they would not accept the document, to which our response was, well, we actually don't really care. It's a statement of the laws of England and Wales. And should you wish to deal with actors over here, that's what you have to work with. So what's what's been the outcome? I mean, it sounds like a great piece of work. Have the agents noticed a difference in, in approach from the studios? They have indeed. I mean, we also were lucky enough to work with Equity, who's the union for actors, and they came out with some uh, cross-business guidance to the whole of the entertainment business. And then anecdotally, following all that work, we have a reduction of about 50 to even 75%. But yeah, a really positive response. Fantastic. That's a great story. And as you mentioned there, a really clear example of NDAs being used in an inappropriate way by a business against individuals. I'm sure listeners will be familiar with other stories around the misuse of NDAs to cover up illegal activity. There's obviously all the stories that came out through Me Too, the stories about Harvey Weinstein, etc. Are there actually any rules around inappropriate use of NDAs against individuals? Yes. I mean, this is also makes it very current. Uh, and this is particularly, as, as you mentioned here in the, in the Me Too movement, and this is what initiated certain regulations and even a government consultation. So the Solicitor's Regulation Authority, as I mentioned, have what they called a warning notice about this, about the use and misuse of NDAs. ACAS has also guidance for employers very clear guidance about how they should and shouldn't be used. And pre-COVID, the government was in a serious consultation measure with industry to limit the misuse of NDAs. Unfortunately, as with so many things, COVID's put a bit of a halt on that for the moment, but we're hoping to get that moving again. So professionally, uh, as lawyers and as directors of companies, it's really worth being au fait with those regulations. Just picking up on the SRA guidance, can you give some sort of examples of, of what sort of behaviour would be considered to be improper use of an NDA? Yes, certainly. I found this to be a very useful and very succinct way it was drafted to help me, in fact, draft my annex. I'm just going to almost literally list them. The SRA considers that NDAs would be improperly used if you sought to use an NDA as a means of preventing or seeking to impede or deter a person from reporting a crime or misconduct. 
You mustn't use an NDA to influence the substance of a report or a disclosure. You shouldn't include or propose clauses you know to be unenforceable. Now, I think that was a really interesting point. Lawyers will put clauses in to scare people, but they may be unenforceable. And you mustn't use warranties, indemnities and clawback clauses basically to bully. So that is actually what you're putting in the text of the NDA. Also, though, comprise with that, you mustn't behave in a way that takes unfair advantage of an opposing party. You mustn't take advantage of their lack of legal knowledge or where they have limited access to legal representation or advice. And clearly, with the actors, that was absolutely on the bullseye. You mustn't apply undue pressure or use inappropriate or aggressive or oppressive tactics. You mustn't seek to rely on your position as a solicitor to exert power over them. You mustn't prevent that uh, individual also from keeping or receiving a copy. And that's very interesting because here, um, actors are not being even allowed into a building until they'd signed an electronic NDA on an iPad and they never had a copy and it was never signed by the company either, even when there was a signature section. Where the opposing party is vulnerable or unrepresented, your obligations to make sure there is no abuse of position or unfair advantage taken will be heightened. So to me, that really laid it out very clearly. And it was astonishing that I could tick every one of those boxes. So we've been talking about NDAs being used between businesses and individuals. If we now start to think about B2B situations, so business to business, NDAs are entirely commonplace. But what if you don't have an NDA in place? If I was to disclose a, a document to another business in a one-to-one situation, so I'm not disclosing it publicly, if I just write confidential on it or put a watermark in it, is that enough to protect that disclosure if, if I don't have a, a specific NDA in place? I mean, I think the first thing to say here is this would be the same whether it's business to consumer or business to business that if you label something as confidential, that certainly puts the other party on notice and then you um, imparting it in circumstances of confidence, which is helpful. It is not, however, going to be as good as a non-disclosure agreement, which clearly identifies the discloser, the recipient and the details, the key details we'll come on to a little later. So I recommend use of non-disclosure agreements, but mindfully. But you do need to enhance that with the marking of it as confidential. The other thing to say and be very clear is just saying a thing is confidential, whether verbally or in writing, does not make it so. If it's not, it's not. We mentioned that NDAs are commonplace in business dealings. And I suspect that a lot of directors will sign an NDA without too much thought on the basis that they always say pretty much the same thing. That's absolutely true. They just never get read. And the thing is, they're not all the same. The devil is in the detail. And also, you may find specific traps will be set in various NDAs, and it's worth taking them apart. Can you give me some examples of of some of the traps that you could wander into? Certainly. I think the first thing to say, which we haven't quite covered yet, is that one size does not fit all with NDAs. If you've got an intellectual property rich business, you've got to be very, very clear how you're going to use them. If you're using them with employees and other consumers, as we've mentioned, that's different again. And commercial and corporate contracts have, again, a different flavor, if you like. Within that, the traps you are going to come across are there may be hidden intellectual property transactions, licenses, assignments of intellectual property. 
data protection issues, which should be dealt with by a separate document. And you might even find non-solicitation and non-compete clauses, which are all in some situations valid partners to non-disclosure, but they need to be very clearly managed and dealt with and can be very powerful, much more so than a short-term confidentiality agreement. In a standard one, even without those, what you need to be very careful is to identify the parties. And again, because think everyone thinks, oh, it's just an NDA, having just a name of a company at the top is sufficient. It, it isn't sufficient. You should be as cautious as with any contract. You must identify the confidential information as far as you can without disclosing it clearly. And we've mentioned that. And then I think one of the most key things, because that in itself often defines the confidential information, is the permitted purpose. What is the purpose for which the recipient is going to be using this information? And that's absolutely key. And then, again, key is who can the individual disclose to? Like in the example right back to the beginning, the actors must be able to speak to their agents. They must be able to take legal advice. And that should be very clear. One particular bugbear of mine with NDAs I've reviewed over the years, and I know it's a bugbear that you share, and this is about time limits. Can you explain what the issue is there? I think there are three interwoven concepts with NDAs and confidential information. So confidential information only stays and is valid as confidential information for as long as it's confidential and not in the public domain. So it is a self-limiting factor. So for example, if you're going to disclose to me a new script for a television program, once the television program is out there, clearly the script is no longer confidential. Then you will often see in NDAs five or 10 year periods. Now these cause you and I trouble. If something's confidential, it's confidential till it's in the public domain. But that in itself presents business with a problem because it's quite hard to maybe identify. The reality is that few things are confidential after 10 years unless it's a trade secret, unless it's something absolutely key, verging on the intellectual property. These kind of five to 10 year periods have crept in, which I think are, are valid to an extent, but again, shouldn't be used arbitrarily. The third point, which annoys me the most, is the ability for someone or a business to terminate an NDA. If all there is in the NDA is about keeping information confidential for a period, and then there'll be a clause in there which says this confidentiality survives termination, and then they say we can terminate on a month's notice, to me that makes no sense unless there's something else hidden in the contract that they want to terminate. Now, often what they're trying to do, I think, is where it's evaluating information and that evaluation, that initial relationship has ended, either because there's a contract in place or because the initial evaluation is over and the situation is closed. But to me, that is a different matter. That's not terminating the confidentiality, that's terminating that relationship. I'm glad you said that because I've always thought the idea of a termination clause in an NDA was complete nonsense, but, uh, but there you go. So what else do you need to look out for if either as a lawyer or, or as a company director who decides I'm not going to get my lawyer to look at the NDA? I'm perfectly capable of doing that myself. What, what else should you be looking out for? First, the thing is to stand back and say, is it needed? What am I trying to protect? And as the individual, you need to not just assume because it's issued that it's valid and required. Think carefully, I think, about also how much has already been disclosed and what may have been discussed and follow those up carefully. I think it's just keep it tight. Parties, identify the confidential information, 
permitted purpose and who can you talk to. Manage your house, keep your house in order, both as the discloser and the recipient. Because if if as a discloser, you haven't looked after your own information and you actually expect those you disclose it to to perform better than you in keeping the information confidential, you know, a judge will not look kindly. Okay, so thinking about the two sides involved, there's always one side who are disclosing information, the other side is receiving it. Are there any specific issues that either of those sides should be aware of when they're negotiating their NDA? If we start off with the party that's actually making the disclosures, what should they be focusing on? I mean, as I just said, heal thyself. Make sure you comply with the level of protection you expect from others. And again, just circling back to the beginning, what actually a lot of the agents now are finding is that scripts come with confidential written on them and there's no contract at all. And that just relieves everybody from the stress. So it it can be that simple. I think educating your staff and identifying areas where key information is generated, whether that be a team, a department, an office, we're all having to educate everyone about GDPR. You could even put it in with that Obviously, we're all working from home now. Use of employees' own devices is people are just waking up to that risk, I think. Uh, And good email practice. Um, Do not forward great long chains of emails. I think certain politicians might have fallen into that trap. Don't rely on old NDA templates. Just don't. I got one for an actor saying that that actor mustn't reverse engineer some software. (laughs) When the recipient is an individual, be fair, clear and specific As I said, heavy-handed NDAs may render your NDA unenforceable, and at worst, you may suffer disciplinary action as a lawyer. And from ACAS, I thought this was very interesting. Employers encourage a working environment where workers and managers feel safe and empowered to talk, basically. So don't create a situation and an environment in your business where secrets need to be kept. Ensure there is discussion. Then you can use... Things are specific uh, as technical and software tools embedded into your system, limited access, folders, passwords, and something as simple as using a PDF rather than a Word document is really, really useful. Even hard copies that you collect in. If you give a presentation in a room, 10 hard copies out, 10 hard copies back. And the more you look after your confidential information, the more it will be valuable. Very often there's a clause in the NDA that says, If we stop talking to each other, if the purpose of having the NDA is no longer relevant, we can ask for our information back. And the number of businesses I've come across that don't actually do that, they just leave all this stuff out there relying on an old NDA. And it's such a simple thing to do, but it's it's all about procedure. So having that internal process that you've kept a log of who you sent it to and, and making sure that you follow up and ask for it to be either destroyed or returned to you. I think that's true. I think that goes both ways. I think the more um, identifiable the disclosure makes the information, the more care take with it. It's so much easier for the recipient to manage that, identify it and send it back again. I mean, how often have you had a disclosure saying, can we have our information back, please? Nobody does that. It just weakens the whole situation because the, the contracts aren't looked at and nobody abides by them either. Yeah, it needs a big refresh, I would say. Okay, so thinking about then the party that's receiving confidential information, what should they be thinking about? Well, I find a very, very handy trick is to get their standard mutual NDA, because funnily enough, it's like to be a little bit more balanced. 
but actually genuinely assess whether you are going to be disclosing confidential information. You'll often find it's the big boys with the NDAs and it's actually the little business that's disclosing. And so you really need to take care. But, and another massive word of warning, when they say it's mutual, do not assume that it is mutual. You need to take it apart and there'll be a little clause in there which will only identify their information or will make you have a non-compete. So it's two pages and an experienced lawyer, it will take you 15 minutes. But, and this is very basic, cut and paste it out, even if it's in a PDF, increase the font and break down the sections. It won't take you long and it's worth it. And it's actually quite fun in my sad world. Next point, read the document. Can you comply? Don't just sign it. Specify the information. If it says you've received information before you signed and you haven't, don't agree to it because that's just immediately going to put you on the back foot if you have to prove your innocence. Identify clearly the nature of the information. Identify the shelf life. Is it intellectual property? Again, I've mentioned these things before. Carefully identify the parties. Are you signing as an individual or as a company? Increasingly, I found that disclosers want to drill down and get your individual employees to sign. Now, I think it's the duty of the company not to allow that to happen, except in exceptional circumstances, possibly to do with patents and intellectual property. And if you are a partnership or a small business, be careful what you're doing. Are you signing as yourself individually or as a director or as another authorised representative? Be really clear on that. Again, as I've said, watch out for hidden clauses. I've listed those already. We haven't really talked about law and jurisdiction, which is interesting. I mean, one thing that comes up a lot is it'll be under the law of the discloser and you could be dragged to court in America, for example, which you really don't want to be if you're not American. And indemnity clauses, I just put a line through. And that that is going to cause you a problem. That will fire stuff back to their lawyers straight away. The thing is, confidentiality is such a, it can be fuzzy around the edges. It's a bit blurred. Is it in the public domain? Is it not? Who disclosed it? Who didn't? To me, it's not really an indemnifiable breach. So I think that's key. Uh, make sure the disclosure signs too, certainly if there's space for them too. If it's a one-way NDA, they perhaps don't have to sign, but I would quite like them to, personally. Check your internal processes, much as if you're the disclosure, and brief relevant staff. Log your NDAs, including the length of the restriction, and then return the documents when you have finished using them. I think that point you just made a moment ago about checking your internal processes is a really important one. So often you see the sort of wording along the lines of you must apply the same level of confidentiality as you do to your own. What does that actually mean? Do people understand it? Sometimes it's even more specific than that. People will say you have to have password protected folders, very limited access to them, and, and just making sure that you do what is actually required by the NDA when you're receiving that information. That's very true. And briefly, though, we didn't discuss policies. I mean, often there will be policies and they will say you must abide by our policy and then there's no sign of the policy. Uh, and also the policy actually could be huge, could be utterly impossible and not necessary for a two page PDF document. <laughs> and so, again, you know, if you're indemnifying a global business internationally for breach of their policies, it's, it's a huge problem which doesn't need to be um, engaged with, really. Sophie, loads of great advice here. And we could go on for hours, I think, talking about some of the minutiae. 
But bringing things to a close, we always like to end with some top tips. So thinking about everything we've discussed about today, what would be your three top tips for a business owner, sort of an SME director who's got an MBA on their desk and decides to review it themselves? What would your three top tips be? First of all, read it, all of it. And just think clearly about the context. Is it an appropriate form of NDA to the context? If it's not, send it back, ask for a mutual NDA, and don't be afraid to customize. Even if the minimum you do for customization is tidy up, identify the confidential information, the permitted purpose, and the parties. And last of all, create and abide by some practical, sensible internal policies with your employees and your IT systems. Thanks, Sophie. Um, Great tips there. That brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Sophie. If you enjoyed our discussion today, you can subscribe to our monthly TLD talks covering a wide range of legal and management topics. You'll find details on our website, thelegaldirector.co.uk and you can also find us on Apple, Spotify and Google. If you'd like to know more about NDAs and protecting confidential information or the wider work of the legal director then do please call us on 020 3053 8613 or visit our website.